going to start in a very similar place to the story that um, Helen read. We're just going to read a portion out of Mark together. Um, it'll come up on the screen if, you, if you'd like to follow. And the reason why I've chosen Mark is because I've been doing a series out of the Gospel of Mark with our church, and so I felt it would be good just to take Mark's version of the, of the story of what happened on that um, Easter Sunday and to use that as a basis of five things I'd like to just say to you this morning, and then we're going to baptize our friends, all right? Uh, Mark 16, the first eight verses says this, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to him and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So it is an incredible story, and over the last week, millions of Christians all over the world have been celebrating Passion Week, as Christians call it, the, the events leading up to the death of Jesus. And Christians celebrate this very simple thing, that he was betrayed, that he was condemned, by uh, religious leaders of the day. He was crucified by the Roman government. And we believe as Christians that he took upon himself when he died on the cross all sins of the world, our sins and every sin in the world. And he did that willingly. (laughs) That is an extraordinary claim that anyone would do that willingly. And that is what we celebrate as Christians on Good Friday. And in the Gospel of John, John puts it like this in verse 17. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This I have received from my Father. That's what Jesus says about himself. Well, what does that little phrase mean, that little verse mean? Well, there's a Christian writer called Max Lucado who writes various books. He puts it like this. He says simply, this means that Jesus planned his own sacrifice. It means that Jesus intentionally planted the tree from which the cross would be carved. It means he willingly placed the iron ore in the heart of the earth from which the nails would be cast. It means he voluntarily placed his Judas in the womb of a woman. It means Christ was the one who set in motion 
the political machinery that would send Pilate to Jerusalem. And it means that he didn't have to do it, but he did. This means the ropes used to tie his hands and the soldiers used to lead him were unnecessary. Had they not been there, had there been no trial, no pilot, no crowd, the same crucifixion would have happened. Had Jesus been forced to nail himself to the cross, he would have done it. For it was not the soldiers who killed him, nor the screams of the mobs. It was his devotion to us. And that really is the extraordinary claim of the Christian faith. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son, who willingly gave himself up for us. Now, if that's not enough as an extraordinary claim, there's an even more extraordinary claim that Christians hold to. And that's simply this, that the little simple story that we read this morning out of the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. That he is no longer on the cross, that death could not hold him, that after three days he rose from the dead. That is even more extraordinary. And this is what we hold to. This is what we believe. This is what Jesus has done for all of us who believe on him. And so, yeah, we see on this, in this little story, late on the Saturday night after the Sabbath, at about 6 p.m., there's three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, and they go and buy these spices to anoint the body. They're expecting Jesus to be in the tomb. They are expecting to anoint his dead body, and so they plan to go the following morning, which is early on the Sunday morning, and they go to this tomb, wondering to themselves, who's going to roll away the stone because it's so massive, and when they come to the, the grave, the stone is already rolled away, and there's a young man. The scripture says here in this version in, in, in Mark, this young man is standing there, and the way that he's dressed in white suggests that he's an angel. And uh, in other versions, in Matthew's Gospel, for example, it suggests there were two angels. But Mark only writes about the one that they spoke to. And the angel tells them of the resurrection. And he invites them and he says, come and have a look where, where Jesus was laid. He, he shows them the place um, where Jesus was laid. And then he says, well, don't wait any longer here. Go to Galilee because Jesus is actually waiting for you there. And he's going to appear to there. And they are shocked. They are fearful. And they are absolutely amazed. And they run away saying nothing to anyone. And it's interesting because Mark's gospel stops right there. And if you know the, the um, version in Mark's gospel, there are a number of verses from verse 9 to 21 which uh, weren't included in, in original documents. Um, and um, if you would like to listen to the podcast, those guys from the church, Greg Hasm did an excellent message a couple of weeks ago around that portion and why that portion uh, is included in the Scripture. And this is one of only two passages where there's a lengthy section that's been added to the Gospel um, that wasn't in the original documents. But that shouldn't worry us because the early manuscripts were copied by hand and there are only very slight differences between manuscripts and mostly the variations are tiny. So the only other portion I can point you to is John 8 where there are 12 verses that are added that weren't in the original Gospel. But here... It seems to me that Mark wants us just to get the point 
that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that's where he wants us to think what he wants to think, uh, us to think about. And all we are presented with in this amazing story is this historical event that Jesus was raised from the dead, that the body was raised, and that this angel explains what happens. And this is not some kind of hallucination. Uh, can, do you, did you notice in the story that the women were expecting to see a dead body? They were as surprised as anybody else was that Jesus was raised from the dead. They too were surprised. They were amazed that this had happened. And so I put it to you this morning that the resurrection confronts all of us. The resurrection surprises all of us. The resurrection challenges all of us. And Paul said that if the resurrection didn't happen, the Apostle Paul said if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christians are the, most, the people to be most pitied on the fa- out of everyone on the face of this planet. Why? Because if there is no resurrection, there is no good news. If there is no resurrection, there is no defeat of sin. There is no defeat of death. There is no defeat of sickness. If there's no resurrection, death wins. Sin wins. Sickness wins. If there's no resurrection, this is as good as it gets. And all you can hope for your life is that one day you'll live honestly and you'll die and you'll be buried and you'll go into blackness and you'll know nothing. That's as good as it will get without the resurrection. And so... It's a profound challenge to our worldview. It's a profound challenge to how we see life and how we face death and how we think about the resurrection really does matter. There are five simple things I want to say to you this morning, and I will try and do it in 15 minutes, all right? One, the resurrection story prevents all of us from removing the supernatural from the Christian faith. There have been many throughout the ages and many of our own generation who have tried to remove the supernatural from the story of Christ, try to explain away the miracles, try to explain away this miraculous retelling of the resurrection story so that there's nothing miraculous about the Christian faith at all. Many have tried. But I put it to you, if you are in any way treat the Bible with any kind of seriousness and read it honestly and openly, it is quite impossible to get rid of the supernatural. You cannot do it. It is part of the story. It is the story. Uh, For the visitors, I am a bit loud sometimes, all right? But I'm not angry with anyone, all right? This simply is put to us that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was a supernatural occurrence. Angels announced it, and the gospel story, which is, is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it all says the same thing, that this miraculous event happened, and Jesus was raised from the dead. I put it to you this morning, Christianity without a risen Christ is a monstrosity. It is a monstrous thought. It is untenable thought without a risen Jesus. Secondly, the events of the resurrection are the foundation of everything else that flows and follows in the story of the Christian faith. It's the basis for everything. The resurrection is the proof of all that Jesus claimed. It's the indication, it's the event 
that symbolized and, and, and trumpeted out that death has been conquered, that Satan has been defeated, that we do not longer have to be motivated or hold on to fear any longer because of what Jesus has done. And for those of you that have been listening to what Helen's been preaching about a culture of grace over the last couple of weeks, the thing that Jesus does more than anything else is he removes fear from our lives that we can live without fear. That is a brilliant thought. <laughs> It's not just a thought, it's a reality. That in Christ we can live fear-free. It's the reversal of Genesis 3.19. In Genesis 3.19, God says this, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. That's what God says in Genesis 3.19. And because of Jesus, that is reversed. No longer does that apply. We are in a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth, because the Christ lives inside of us by faith. And when Jesus cried, it is finished, and he gave himself up for us on the cross, what he was saying is all that he had came to come to do was complete, perfect, and it was over. The price had been paid once and for all. One of my personal favorite scriptures in, in the New Testament is Hebrews 10, verse 11, which reminds us of this. He say, it says, the writer of Hebrews says, day after day, Priests stand and perform their religious duties. Again and again, they offer the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Yes, please. You and I don't have to live offering sacrifices, trying to wash away our sin. It's been done for us once and for all. And because of Christ, we are free. We live guilt-free, debt-free, sin-free. Amen. That's my Pentecostal thing coming out there. Thirdly, Mark simply confronts us with the sheer fact of the resurrection. And the other Gospels, if you read them, give more details. But it seems like Mark simply just wants to confront us with the sheer fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's his primary purpose. I'm, I'm sure he knew the rest of the story and how it unfolded. And this is the key for me because of all things that are difficult to believe. And perhaps you are here this morning. Perhaps you've come out of friendship to someone else to witness their baptism. Perhaps you believe this is all nonsense, that what I'm saying to you, actually, this has got no application to you. You've got no openness to the gospel in any way. Perhaps you come here because you're curious. You just want to see, well, what is this thing all about? But I want to say to you that of all things to believe, of all that I'm saying to you, this is the most difficult thing that I'm saying to you, believe, of asking you to believe, is that someone can be raised from the dead. That's the most impossible thing for our brains to get around. It challenges our view of reality. We think we can know what happens and what cannot happen. <laughs> don't we? And we know simply that dead men just don't rise. I mean, that's how life works. Dead people just don't get up. They are dead. 
But what if, what if that's wrong? <laughs> you see, it offends our intellectual, humanistic mindset, doesn't it? We've grown up in the 21st century. We don't believe that kind of mumbo-jumbo anymore. Come on, come on. Science tells us. Science tells us that that's just not possible for anyone to be raised from there. Don't be so stupid to believe that stuff. Only, only people that are, are superstitious believe that kind of stuff. <laughs> I put it to you this morning, what if it is right? What if it is possible? This is what it does, and this is why people find it so offensive. Because if it's true, then God is true. <laughs> if it's true, then God is real. If it's true, the spiritual world is real. If it's true, the miraculous is also real. Prayer is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And all of our secular thinking is wrong. If it's true. That's why people can't embrace it. Now it's too difficult. It just offends everything that I've ever thought about the universe and how it works. That I have to say, there's someone who can raise someone else from the dead. And that's why the resurrection turns some, everything upside down and inside out. And it lets us all know that we don't really know everything about life as much as we thought we did. And that's why it offends our thinking so deeply. Fourthly, and this is the part I love more than anything else, the resurrection comes with an offer of forgiveness. <laughs> I love this Little detail. The angel tells the, 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 tells the woman, go and tell his disciples. And do you notice she, she names one person. She says, and, the angel says, and Peter. Go tell all the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and you will see him just as he told you. There's a promise of forgiveness in that one little phrase. All the disciples, if you know the story, all the disciples had left Jesus. Peter had been the big mouth. If you read the Gospels, Peter's always got a big mouth. He's always saying a whole lot of stuff that he's going to do. And Peter says, ah, everyone else might leave you, but I will never forsake you, Lord. And if you know the story, three times he denies Jesus. And his heart is absolutely broken. In Jesus' little phrase here, in the angel's little phrase, there's a sweet promise of forgiveness for Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Even in his resurrection, Jesus is gracious. The God of grace is coming to Peter. And I love the story in John, 21, John chapter 21. Jesus goes and ministers to Peter as a fisherman. Do you know the story? Can I read it quickly? It just says, this is after he's been um, raised from the dead, and he's in Galilee. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way to Peter. Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were all together. Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> This hasn't worked out like I thought it was going to work out. I'm going back to my day job. I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know how to do, Peter says. I'm going back fishing. He's a bit of a sulker as well, Peter. So he's off sulking. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And they went out and gone into the boat. And they fished all night and they caught nothing. That's what it says. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, Children, have you caught any fish? 
He's having a joke with them. He's pulling their leg. He's saying, my friends, have you caught any fish? And they answered, no. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. It's like, he's having a joke. He's saying like, you're looking for fish. You can't even find the fish. I'll tell you how to find the fish. Just throw the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find what you're looking for. You will find the fish. He's teasing them. And so they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple that Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. They recognized him. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea and the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land. And this is, I love Jesus. He makes them breakfast. <laughs> those, that have, those that ran from him, those that betrayed him, those that just left him destitute. <laughs> he makes a fire for them. He says, they saw a charcoal fire and fish lay down on it and bread. And Jesus said, come, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord Jesus. And they came and took, he took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then this amazing reinstatement that Jesus, of his friend Peter, the one who denied him three times, when they had finished, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, You know. I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said for him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I want to put it to you this morning. If you say you love Jesus, feed his sheep, love his sheep, tend for his sheep, care for those that are called into him. That's how you show you love him. It's very simple. And then I love the story of, of Thomas. Thomas, how many of you have ever felt like Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Unless I see the scar, unless I put my finger there, I will not believe in this Jesus. Unless I put my finger in the side, I will not believe in this Jesus. I want to see with my eyes that this Jesus who he says he is. Anyone felt like that? Well, let's read Thomas's story. John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin who was not with them when Jesus came. And the disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> but he said... Unless I see his hand and the mark of the nails and I place my fingers into the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Never. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace 
be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand here and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And there is the challenge of faith for you and for me. Will we be those that can only believe when we've seen, or will we be those that believe by faith even when we have not seen? See, Jesus, he's amazing. He doesn't hold Thomas's unbelief against him. He doesn't hold Peter's disloyalty against him. The same is true for all of us today, for you and for me. There's forgiveness in Christ. He doesn't hold your unbelief against you. He doesn't hold your sin against you. He doesn't hold your unforgiveness against you. Maybe you feel like Thomas. Maybe you feel full of doubt. Maybe you feel like, I can't believe until I see for myself. Maybe you feel like Peter, that you've betrayed Jesus through your life. You've denied him even. You've walked away. You said, that Christ, I don't want to believe in him. I say to you this morning, Jesus doesn't even hold that against you. There's forgiveness for you today. (laughs) There's forgiveness for me. He wants to make his home with you in your life. And he wants to be like those, with those disciples and simply make you breakfast. <laughs> he wants to eat with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to make his home inside of you. That's the promise of the risen Christ. There's joy and liberty in the gospel. He's not dead. He's alive. Lastly, and I'm finishing with this, Mark's story lets us know that the church has a future. The church has a future. Although Mark's story ends suddenly and abruptly, there's enough in his story to let us know that the church will continue. It says simply, Jesus has gone ahead of you into Galilee. That's where Jesus did most of his ministry. He was going ahead of them, and he would meet them there. And here's the promise in that sentence, that the work of Jesus will continue, and we all get to be part of it. You see, Jesus doesn't go back to the cynics. He doesn't go back to the scribes. He doesn't go back to the Pharisees. He doesn't go back to the theologians. He doesn't go back to Pontius Pilate to prove that he is risen. He is not interested, Jesus is not interested in proving himself to unbelieving people. Not interested. (laughs) He's interested in proving himself to believing, faithful people. And so the church continues... For those who trust Him, believe in Him, have faith in Him. For those that have faith and believe and trust, they have testimonies like Jewel. They have testimonies like myself with my own family, that God heals, God delivers, God is faithful when everyone else is not. He's He's closer than a friend. When every other friend is left, Jesus is still there with you. He's not dead. He has risen. This is the good news for all those who believe and who trust. And so perhaps you confronted us uh, with the resurrection today in a fresh way. How does it challenge you? How does it speak to you? Like I said, let me say it again. Perhaps you feel like Thomas. Perhaps you identified with Tim's story. Perhaps you identified with Lee's story. Perhaps you feel more like Peter. 
I want to tell you again, there's forgiveness for you at the foot of the cross with the risen Son of God this morning. I'm asking you, if you don't know Christ, that you would consider what I'm saying, that you would let it challenge your own thinking, and that faith will come, and faith will rise in your own heart. He has a future for you. He has a future for you that is free from all the failings of your past if you'll put your faith in Him. Amen? God bless you. I'm going to pray. We're going to break bread after that. And then we're going to witness the guys getting baptized. Let's pray this morning. Let's close our eyes and pray. Our Father, we come simply as your sons and your daughters. We come with grateful hearts this morning. We come to say thank you for all that you've done. We, we come to say thank you that we don't have to try hard to please you because you're already pleased with what your Son has done on our behalf. We don't have to prove ourselves to you because Jesus has done all that is necessary. And we thank you, Lord, that you've radically transformed our futures because of what Jesus did. That you've forgiven our past and we have a completely new future. We want to thank you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts. I do want to give opportunity also this morning for those that are here that perhaps have never responded to what Jesus promises. And the Bible is very clear. It says very simply that all we have to do is believe in our hearts and say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And instantly in that moment we are born again. What Lee shared with us, that amazing sense of his presence, that we know our future is secure and we know that our past is washed away. All sin washed away because of Christ. I want to give opportunity while people's eyes are closed. If you'd like to respond to Jesus this morning, there's an invitation for you from the heart of the Father this morning that you can receive forgiveness, that you can know Him, that you can walk with Him, and that He will stand with you closer than any brother. This is what the promise is this morning. And it's, it's true and it's available to us because of what Christ has done. So I simply want to ask that if you would like to respond this morning, that you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know I can't live this life on my own. I'm sorry for those things that I've done that have hurt you and that have hurt other people. I ask you right now to forgive me for my sin. I thank you that because of Jesus, my sin is washed away. And I ask you now to come and live in my heart, to make your home there by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask that in Jesus' name.
Amen.